Welcome to episode 109 of the Farm Exec Podcast. I'm Elaine Quilici, Editor-in-Chief of Farm Exec Magazine, here along with my co-host, Group Social Media Editor, Miranda Schmalfus. Farm Exec Magazine is a multimedia publishing brand that brings you the latest insights to master the science of success. On this week's episode, Miranda and I have the pleasure of speaking with Mirto Kontaxi, a partner in the Biopharma Sustainability Roundtable, and Victoria Emerick, Global Head of Sustainability Strategy and Operations at Bristol-Myers Squibb. Mirto and Victoria talk about their part in establishing a biopharma investor ESG guidance for communicating about environmental, social, and governance matters and what it means for our industry. Let's take a quick break from our sponsor and we'll be right back with Mirto and Victoria. Hey podcasters, social media editor Miranda Schmoff is here to let you know that the Pharmaceutical Executive Apex Awards have extended their entry deadline. Our new deadline is June 30th. Don't miss your chance to enter across 19 specialized categories in the only pharma award show judged entirely by HCPs. Submit your entry now at apex.pharmexec.com. That's apex.pharmexec.com. Hello, podcasters. Today, Miranda and I will be interviewing Mirto Kentaxi, a partner in the Biopharma Sustainability Roundtable, also known as BSRT for short, and lead author on its updated Biopharma Investor ESG Communications Guidance, and Victoria Emmerich, Global Head of Sustainability Strategy and Operations at Bristol-Myers Squibb, a Biopharma Sustainability Roundtable participant, and a key contributor to the guidance development process. They're here to discuss the growing demand for better communication about ESG strategy and performance and how the updated ESG guidance can help both biopharma companies and investors respond. Thanks for joining us, Mirto and Victoria. Pleasure to be with you. Yes, thank you, Elaine, very much for having us. Thanks for joining us. What was the impetus of creating a biopharma investor ESG communications guidance? How did it develop over time? And what is the difference between a sector-oriented guidance and a cross-sector general ESG framework? Mirdo, let's start with you. Yes, I'm happy to take that. So the impetus for creating the guidance was a common challenge faced by biopharma and sector investors that decided to go on a quest for more efficient, effective, and decision-useful ESG communications. You will ask, Mirto, how did these two groups find out that they were both facing the same challenge? And how did they end up working together to produce the guidance? Well, it all started by a group of leading biopharma company and investor participants back in April of 2018. During uh, one of our roundtable and investor day events hosted back then by Roche and UBS in Basel, Switzerland. So biopharma company sustainability and ESG leaders that were attending our roundtable were discussing first among themselves challenges, confusion, fatigue from proliferation of competing ESG standards and frameworks, surveys, questionnaires, and they were voicing frustrations around lack of transparency and score divergence of ESG ratings. And that despite all the work going into ESG communications and reporting, that was also increasing year by year, they had very little visibility on how useful the information was to users 
and namely investors, one of their key audiences. And also they had very limited constructive engagement with this group of the investors. So during the investor day that was right after the roundtable, where we typically invite capital markets representatives to be in the same room as our biopharma participants, everyone was very surprised to hear that the investors were expressing similar frustrations to those of companies. And I think right then and there, the biopharma investor ESG communications initiative began to take shape. So we started work shortly after the roundtable, and basically we started running a biopharma investor dialogue and work focused on building consensus on the what of ESG information should be communicated from biopharma to the capital markets and on the how, how to structure it. And one of the first steps was to define a pool of key ESG topics for the biopharma sector that were important to both companies and their investor audience. So we had a biopharma and investor working group putting in a lot of effort that were separately asked to identify a list of those high priority, you've often heard of them as material as well, biopharma sector ESG topics. And the resulting lists to everyone's uh, delight and surprise turned out to be similar. And dialogue commenced to reach a consensus on a final list of what we have today, uh, the 12 ESG high priority topics. Keep in mind, though, that we always acknowledge that each company will address these topics as appropriate for their business and their strategy. So not everything applies to all. So we launched the first public guidance along with an investor statement of support in 2020. And then we began what we call our socialization phase, where in addition to the biopharma investor dialogue, we started to have conversations with key stakeholder groups, standard and framework setters, SASB being a prominent ongoing partner in dialogue as the only organization that has an investor-focused sector standard. And also we invited traders and industry association. And all this and more has been included in our updated guidance, which was uh, launched late last month. You also asked what the difference between a sector-oriented guidance versus a cross-sector general ESG framework is. Well, the sector-specific lens is essential to communicating about value creation. That has come out of our dialogue. It's essential to be meaningful to companies and to be decision useful to the investor community. So yes, investors want to hear, of course, about ESG strategy, governance, risks, opportunities, performance, and the guidance, of course, includes this thinking, but then so do other general frameworks. What is unique to a sector and to biopharma are those ESG topics like, for example, access to medicine or product and patient safety, clinical trials practices. And we've had discussions around how to approach these and what metrics to use. And even for cross-sector ESG topics like human capital management or even climate change, they will have sector-specific nuances. So a generic framework cannot address all these nuances, and it's not expected to do that. But a sector guidance, especially one that's the outcome of a four-year biopharma investor dialogue, can and hopefully does achieve just that. Thanks, Mirtel. 
So Victoria, how can this guidance be applied to support ESG cross-functionally and make it educationally accessible inside a company? I think that the guidance really, if I can say, lowers what I would call the threat level to engage. ESG is full of jargon. It's evolved very rapidly. And unless you've got your finger on the pulse and have been paying close attention, it's very hard for an organization to keep up with what's going on in this space. What are these expectations and how do they respond to them? We are inundated from inside and outside our companies by knowledge and information and emails and the guidance on how to do ESG. And the guidance provides a very focused approach that is validated, not just by our peers within our sector, but more importantly, by our institutional investors. And the fact that we've been able to collaborate over four years in open Chatham House Rules conversations to get everything on the table really creates a directional guide that makes it easy for us to speak to our C-suites, our boards of directors, because they understand how to engage in these topics from the investor perspective. It also helps us engage with our peers or our leaders of the subject matter areas where there might be hesitancy to disclose information in the level of detail that we're now asking, but we can give them context of why this is important, but also background that we're not alone, that this is happening across our peer group. And dare I say, the rising tide is lifting all boats. How can the guidance be applied to both small and large biopharmas? Yeah, that's a great question. Well, first off, it is important to stress that the initiative that has been formulating the guidance has been running for four years because some of the leading global companies like Bristol-Myers Squibb that Victoria represents here today have been willing to support it and put in the work, the know-how and the energy to move the needle in this space. That's very important to remember. So the opportunity for both large and smaller biopharma is to learn from this biopharma investor dialogue and from the experience accumulated over the past four years, both of which are reflected in the updated guidance. For smaller companies in particular, I think the best indication of how to apply the guidance is what our investor participants have been telling us. Many of them have been using the guidance when they engage with small and mid-cap pharma and biotech and have been telling them, this is how to think about your ESG strategy and how to structure your ESG approach and communications to us. And as said, while not all ESG topics will be relevant to every company, the guidance provides the flexibility to pick those ESG topics that are relevant to you and the way to think about them. So investors do tell us that they use the guidance to do exactly that with smaller biopharma and show them what is relevant to their needs and what information they need from them to integrate into their ESG analysis. As a side note, we at the BSRT are currently developing a white paper in collaboration with an MIT Sloan School Fellow to transpose the guidance for small biopharma and their investors. So look out for that later this year. Thanks, Mirdo. So Victoria, how does the guidance translate into impactful change within companies? I think one of the greatest areas that I've seen change and really value-added change as a result of the guidance 
is in this mindset that we have, particularly around the social aspects or the social priority issues within ESG. We have a legacy, which is not incorrect, of describing these areas of work from a corporate social responsibility or CSR lens. And that lens is really related to, dare I say, storytelling. And they're very valuable and they're very moving, but they are a snapshot in time versus where ESG is looking for evolution over time and impact over a period of time. The BSRT Roundtable guidance has helped us connect strategy and governance to topics that were traditionally not managed with that corporate governance lens. You know, it's been able to provide support to companies to manage our ESG, all of our ESG priority topics with that same governance approach, with that same lens of risk management, and put those approaches and practices into place that we traditionally use for financial material risks. A really good example is for us for diversity and inclusion. We've been doing diversity and inclusion for a very long time at Bristol-Myers. It's core to our values, and we report on our results, but we never describe the strategy for how we were going to approach diversity and inclusion as clearly. We didn't have the rigor of the governance that we now do. And we've been hesitant, and I think most companies are, of articulating risks and opportunities. But it's very important because what we've learned from this process of working with the BSRT Roundtable and investors is that it's okay to, in fact, it's important that a company be able to articulate its risks, its opportunities, and then describe the strategy and the governance for how the company will manage those and address those moving forward. And provide, of course, the key performance indicators or the metrics. And then importantly, and some things that often get lost, is translating those results into impact. Really what we're trying to do is drive impact. And the guidance helps us get our heads around these non-financially material issues in a way that we're used to driving financially material risks. Thanks, Victoria. So how can the guidance help companies engage investors? I think the guidance has become a very useful tool in letting us come to the table and be prepared and to take a proactive position on how we are identifying these risks or these non-financial priority issues, the ESG issues, how we identify them, how we're managing them, how we're going to disclose them. Historically, I think it's been reactive. We wait for the investors to come to us and challenge us or applaud us, or and we hope to dig in the nuggets of and mine that information for useful information. In this case, we bring this forward. We share the guidance with our investors, and we're saying, this is how we intend to work. And then we back it up with our reports, and our reports are aligned to the guidance so that we're actually not just talking the talk, but we're walking the walk. And that allows us to have a much more meaningful dialogue with the investors because they know what to expect. They know if we've delivered on those expectations. And then we can move forward into a much more advanced conversation of where do we go next? What's underneath some of this? What are they looking for that we normally wouldn't 
necessarily get to because we would spend too much time in the investor engagements, the one-on-one investor engagements, talking about how did we figure out how to talk about that topic or why did we decide to describe something the way we did. And it just gets us so much further down the path into much more meaningful conversations. How can this BSRT initiative help biopharma, including pharma execs audience, prepare to face the rapidly evolving ESG policy, regulation, and standardization developments? Well, there is really no universal recipe book, but there is a list of the right ingredients, and we hope that that's what this guidance can do or it aspires to do. It's useful to note that the BSRT initiative is unique in that it brings together the sustainability and ESG leaders with investors that are knowledgeable about both the sector and ESG, and that's a rare combination to have in the room. And what differentiates this from other initiatives is that we have been able to build a consensus with this very important stakeholder through dialogue. So as a result, the outcome around ESG communications is really laser focused on the sector and reflects current best thinking. And by keeping the dialogue alive, we aspire to keep bringing the best thinking forward. So the guidance can be a primer and a resource for any company in the sector to quickly cut through the noise and understand what the high priority ESG sector topics are and how to approach an ESG strategy. And Victoria spoke a lot about this, but it also provides examples of metrics. It will help users gain insights into investor expectations and what they look for when assessing ESG performance. Those two elements are very critical to building a solid communication strategy on ESG. We have brought influences from the top framework and standards, and those have been incorporated. The guidance keeps an eye on global developments and their relevance, but always from a practical point of view, because it's not a standard, it's not a framework, it doesn't aspire to become one. It is just that, it's a guidance document. But the most important ingredient, we think, is that the guidance is peer-developed and investor-validated and it's continuously improved through use case experience. Mirto, Victoria, thank you so much for being with us today. It's been really interesting learning about the need for applying a sector-specific lens on ESG and the potential benefits of this new guidance for the industry. Thank you very much for having us. Yes, thank you very much. It's been great talking with y'all. Hey, podcasters, social media editor Miranda Schmoff is here to let you know that the Pharmaceutical Executive Apex Awards have extended their entry deadline. Our new deadline is June 30th. Don't miss your chance to enter across 19 specialized categories in the only pharma award show judged entirely by HCPs. Submit your entry now at apex.pharmexec.com. That's apex.pharmexec.com. And now it's time for this week's leadership tips from pharma execs. Hi, my name is Victoria Emmerich. I am the executive director and global head of sustainability strategy and operations at Bristol Myers Squibb. My leadership tip is one I learned many years ago. And that is as funny as it sounds, we have two ears, two eyes, and one mouth. We need to use them in that order. And when we do that, 
and listen and observe as we engage. It allows us to better meet people where they are and move them and, and engage them along the process in a much more effective way. Hi, I'm Mirto Kontaxi, a partner in the Biopharma Sustainability Roundtable. And my leadership tip is this. Don't be distracted by what people are saying, but focus on why they're saying it. This has guided me well throughout the years, because when you really focus on why people are saying what they do, then you can feel and understand their true needs and where their point of view is coming from. And this will get you farther down the road of collaboration faster than anything else. Thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed this week's Farm Exec podcast. We are always pleased to take you behind the headlines, provide expert tips from industry leaders, and give you an inside look at what the Farm Exec staff is working on. Remember, you can always find us on the web at farmexec.com, on Twitter at farmexec, on Instagram at farmexecutive, and on YouTube. The views expressed on this podcast do not reflect the views of Farmexec, its parent company, or our advertisers. For editorial questions, please email Editor-in-Chief Elaine Quilici at E-Q-U-I-L-I-C-I at MJHLifeSciences.com. And for sponsorship opportunities, please email group publisher Todd Baker at T-B-A-K-E-R at MJHLifeSciences.com.